may be seated. Sometimes as a pastor, um, as, you're, as you're preparing for uh, preaching on Sunday morning and you're in God's Word and you're praying and you begin to write down some notes, you just, you just know that this is really going to be what people need to hear this morning. And today's not one of those days. <laughs> so, so pray for me and pray for yourself that the Lord will use this. But I wanted to focus on just three verses out of the passage that Craig read to us this morning out of that, actually four verses out of that First Corinthians passage that will help us understand the vision that we have at, at Christ Church for what God is doing with us at Christ Church. And just as a way of giving you some quick background, we talked about this last week, but Paul is writing to the church that he planted, that he started in the city of Corinth in order to address several issues that have been brought to his attention. Particularly, he has to address the issue of divisions in that local congregation, divisions and factions in that local congregation. And we talked on, or we touched on that last week. But here's what I want us to focus on this week, and we'll get down into those verses in just a moment. Here's what I want us to focus on, how Paul maintains that the kingdom of God grows, how Paul maintains that God's kingdom grows. How does the church grow? What causes men and women and boys and girls to come to a living transformational faith in Jesus Christ? And then I want to directly apply this to how God is causing his kingdom to grow here at Christ Church and through Christ Church. And so we'll have a little time of self-reflection as a, as a church body this morning as well. So let's just dry, dive right in. Around the year 50 A.D., around the year 50 A.D. in the city of Corinth, um, a Mediterranean city in the ancient world, uh, the church in that city had begun to splinter and fall into division because the members were forming little fan clubs around their favorite preachers and teachers. This could never happen today. Those old Christians just didn't have it together. Some thought that Paul was the best teacher. After all, he planted the church there in Corinth, so he had to be the best. But others said that Paul's speaking style and ability, those that his style and his abilities to, as a preacher were pathetic compared to the new preacher in town, Apollos. So Paul tells them that this kind of thinking is a symptom of spiritual immaturity and that they were thinking and acting in a way that proved that the Corinth that proved by thinking this way and acting this way this proves that God's spirit was not the dominant force in the lives of those Corinthian Christians. Your divisions Paul says prove that you are just great big babies. That's what he literally says. So Paul then says this, he, he, then he rewrites, he flips the script for the, how the Corinthians are thinking about what's important, okay? So listen here, uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. If you're following along in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave 
the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, I just want to stop right there now and say, wait a second, Paul. Are you saying that if I grow a great big mega church, I don't get to go on a conference tour and tell everybody just how good we were and how exactly we did all that? I don't know if Paul's up with the times here. No, he's saying that God gives the growth. He who plants, Paul continues, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. But we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul is saying all he did was plant the seed. All he did was plant the seed. <clears throat> and as I read that this, more, or this week, I, I realized I needed to explain that. What does he mean when he says that he planted the seed? He planted well, he's talking about the message, the gospel that he preached. And we heard that last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just go back a chapter and listen again to what we heard. We heard this last week, but I want to reiterate it. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here is the gospel seed in a nutshell that Paul planted. He talks about Christ and him crucified. Here's the seed. And I want to reiterate it for us this morning, lest we forget the gospel. God loves the world he created. God loves the world he created. And he especially loves his human creation, you. He loves you. We know that verse, don't we? For God so loved the world. And he loves you. You are a part of that creation. But humans rejected God's love. And in rejecting God's love and God's plan for us, we choose and we chose to go our own way. And you have to, uh, uh, we, we want to go our own way to be our own boss. And when we do that, that leads to broken lives. So when you and I go our own way, I want to lead my own life. I'm the master of my destiny. I'm going to choose my own way. That leads to broken relationship with God, broken relationship with the people around us. It brings chaos and dissension. And ultimately, it leads to spiritual death. When I live as the boss of my own life, it brings chaos. We think we're going to manage our own lives, and when we just live by our own intentions, it brings chaos. It brings addiction and strife and conflict, and it hurts everybody around us, and it especially hurts, unfortunately, children. God's remedy for human rebellion, though, was to come to us, and this is Paul preaching Christ and him crucified. God comes to us in Jesus Christ, 
And when Jesus accepts that death on the cross, he took all our rebellion and all our sin and all the ways we ruin our lives. He took all the mess we made of everything, of the world around us in our lives, and he takes it upon himself to take it away from us. And now, when we accept Jesus Christ by faith and we receive God's wonderful gift of baptism, Jesus takes away our own personal sin and gives us his righteousness and a, listen, a brand new start. We are born again by God's Spirit. We become new creations. That is the seed that Paul planted. That's the gospel. Now, Apollos watered that seed. He brought Bible teaching. Everybody in the New Testament that gives any account of Apollos says he was a great teacher. So he brought Bible teaching that nourished the Corinthian church after they had received the gospel. So Paul planted and Apollos watered, but neither of them, listen, made that seed grow. God, Paul says, gave the growth. If the seed, listen, if the seed does not germinate, by the way, uh, the Blum's Almanac, published right here in Winston-Salem since 1848, uh, it, you know, if you're a gardener or a farmer or something like that, you might, uh, you might consult an almanac. And you know what? I, I just did and found out I have not got, I'm supposed to plant my potatoes this coming week, and I'm not ready to plant potatoes. I don't know what I'm going to do. But here's the deal. The, I can plant those potatoes, but I can't make those potatoes grow. It doesn't matter. If those, if those potatoes don't grow or if a seed does not germinate, it doesn't matter if you planted it. If you water dead seed, it doesn't matter that you watered it. The variable that we cannot control, please listen, this is critical to understand this passage. The variable that you and I cannot control and which is truly the most important is that God alone can give life and cause growth. We contribute to that. We are God's fellow workers, Paul says. Doesn't he say that? We are God's fellow workers. We contribute to that, but God alone gives life and growth. So as I, if I'm preaching the good news and somebody comes to faith in Christ, Ben Sharp didn't save them. It's the Spirit of God that gives them life. God makes that happen. So that means that preachers and teachers and churches cannot pat themselves on the back and say, wow, we are so smart, smart and cool, let's write a book. Look at what we are making grow. No, in the kingdom of God, there is no room for self-congratulation. The proper response is not to say how great the planter is or how great the waterer is, but how great God is for giving us life and giving growth. And that just takes a huge burden off of us, doesn't it? All we have to do is take those seeds and put them in the ground. We don't have to make them come to life. That's God's business. Now, I want, to turn, I want you to turn with me. This is not the gospel lesson we read today, but it is an illustration that Jesus gives of precisely this point. Or perhaps Paul is giving application to what Jesus has already said in the gospel. So if you have your Bible with me and you want to turn with me, turn to Mark's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And by the way, if you get really mad and you stub your toe or something like that, you don't have to cuss. You can just say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
you could do that. So turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. This is a very short parable, four verses long, and this parable only occurs in the gospel of Mark. Mark is the only one who records this. Listen to what Jesus says, okay? It's exactly the same point. And he, Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. What's that person doing? They're planting. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. Listen to what it says next. He knows not how. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that as people who plant the gospel seed, we are like farmers. We plant the seed, and whether we stay up at night watching the crops, willing them to grow, or whether we're out in the field in the daytime willing those crops that we planted to grow, we are not making the crops grow. We, are, we do not have the power by a force of will to make that happen. We can plant and water, but we can't make crops grow. It is just as if it is happening by itself. We can scatter seed. We will harvest. But we do not, by our own effort, make the gospel spread or come to life in people's hearts and minds. In other words, there is, an, ready? There is another force at work in the kingdom. And here it is, if you want to write it down. It is God's supernatural, right? Not our natural efforts, but God's supernatural and sovereign work making the kingdom of grow. So this is a parable in one sense about the sovereignty of God in the spread of the gospel. Now, unless you're someone who's been in church a long time, you don't go around saying that word sovereignty very often. So what does it mean when we say God's sovereignty? What, it, it means this. It means that God's will and God's purpose and his superintendency, his oversight of his universe, cannot be thwarted, it cannot be stopped, it cannot be derailed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. Ephesians 1.11, God works, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And here's why that is good news. Are you ready? It means that, oh, I love this. Even when we are not thinking about God or the church or about ministry, God is at work by himself independently expanding his kingdom. One of the ways that we actually see this today, I want to, this is a wonderful ex, uh, uh, example of God being independently, sovereignly at work without any of my help to expand his kingdom. One of the ways that we see this today is that around the world there are many Muslim people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ because God, without an evangelist, without somebody talking to people, has been independently revealing himself to them in dreams and visions, and yes, even through miracles. Mission Frontiers magazine has reported uh, that in a survey of 600 Muslim converts, 600 Muslim converts, 25% of them experienced a dream 
that led to their conversion. And more than dreams, Dan Carlson, excuse me, Darren Carlson recounts the following experience as he has been gathering these stories as well. He writes, there was a family on a boat with other migrants traveling from Turkey to Athens. On the way, and this is probably one of those refugee, illegal immigrant in the middle of the night, get, trying to get out of, this is happening about 2012 when ISIS is really on the rise and people are fleeing the, uh, the caliphate and trying to find freedom. Says, there was a family on the boat with other immigrants traveling from Turkey to Athens. On the way, they lost on the way, they lost their seven-year-old daughter into the water, overboard. Everyone in the crowded boat was looking for her but couldn't find her. Suddenly, she appeared on the other side of the boat, saying over and over, a man who walked on the water took me and brought me to the other side of the boat. The, her parents dismissed her words as silly. Upon arriving on the island of Lesbos, they met a Christian who made a fire, sounds so much like the book of Acts to me, made a fire and, talk, and offered to talk to them. That day, without knowing what happened, he asked if they would like to know about a God who walked on water. They started crying. The man said he had never used that illustration in evangelism. Never used that illustration in evangelism. But that morning he felt like he had to. He asked them, or excuse me, they asked him, who are you? To which he replied, I am a Christian. And they said, what do you mean walk on water? And he opened, he opened the Bible and read the story of Jesus walking on the water. They continued crying. Our daughter fell off the boat, they explained. We thought she was crazy because she was dry on the other side. We didn't understand it, but she, said, she kept saying it was a man who walked on the water that took me to the other side. Where was the evangelist in that? It was after God had sovereignly acted. When we're not thinking about Jesus, and we don't care anything about God and his church, God loves us so much that he is independently shaping circumstances around us to bring us to himself and to give us new life. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? God's sovereign, independent action in growing the kingdom leads us to a specific application for us here at Christ Church this morning. And here it is. It is self-evident that God has, here's that word again, sovereignly, who, who, who's doing this? God's doing this. God has sovereignly made Christ Church a place where young people are being called to full-time, set-apart ministry, whether as lay people and deacons and priests, and to form these young people for ministry. You need to know, by the way, and we see this, we're just about to send out Chris Bora and his family to go after a four-year time in what is called a curacy, um, and, you know, what is a curacy? Well, I could give you a technical term, but if you want to make ham really good, <laughs> you cure it and make it country ham. He's going to become country ham. <laughs> In Beckley, West Virginia. 
So it is a time, a, cur a curacy is a time to prepare, particularly in Chris's case, a young man to go out and serve as a priest on his own in ministry. So you need to know this. About, and Chris is just one in a long line of young people who have come through and are continue, continuing to come through. And by the way, if God wills, we are in conversation with another young man. Uh, it's not Cameron, unfortunately. He said, uh, no, we got too good a situation here in Greenville. But there's someone else that God has raised up we're in conversation with about coming in July to be the next curate here at Christ Church. That's exciting. But you need to know that this thing where we train up young people to send them out into ministry, that was not our plan when we started this church. We didn't have a meeting where we sat down and said, you know, let's recruit a bunch of young people and train them to be pastors who will go out and plant new churches and lead people to the God who walks on water. We didn't decide that. This is incredibly important. Whenever God expands his kingdom, he, again, that word, sovereignly raises up leaders who will risk everything to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. God creates a leadership pipeline. Yes, he does it with those who plant and water, but God is the one who gives the growth. Let me tell you a story, and one that's been very influential for me here at Christ Church. Just after entering Cambridge in 1779, Charles Simeon had a profound conversion experience coming to a living faith in Jesus Christ. After graduating Cambridge University, he was ordained in the Church of England, and at age 23, he was made the vicar, the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, England. The people of that church resented this young pastor and his evangelical faith and preaching, and so they did what they could do. They just locked the pews. The pews had little doors on them. You rented your pew, and they locked all the pews so that if you wanted to come and hear that crazy Charles Simeon, you would have to stand up in the aisle to listen to him. You weren't going to sit down in that church. Well, slowly the pews began to open up and fill, not primarily with the townspeople who had been coming to that church, but with students. Then Simeon did what was unthinkable at the time. He introduced an evening service. He invited students to his home on Sundays and Friday evenings for conversation parties to teach them how to preach. And by the time he died, it is estimated, listen, okay, this is one man in Cambridge, England. By the time he died, it is estimated that one-third of all the Anglican ministers in the country and two-thirds of all the missionaries that the Church of England sent out has sat under his teaching at one time or another. Can you imagine the influence that he had? Simeon was instrumental in founding the Church Missionary Society, and dozens of young men from his church went around the world in gospel mission work. Because of one man who had a heart for emerging church leaders, untold multitudes have come to Christ. Now here is the application for you and the, me this morning. Because of Christ's church gifting, we are like a Charles Simeon. Because of what we are doing here, God is growing his kingdom. We're having a profound impact just in our diocese. Think about it. There are three now three young church planters 
who have been sent out and are starting new congregations where the gospel seed will be planted. Brothers and sisters, what happened at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge is in some small measure happening among us. There has been a steady stream of young people come, who come to Christ Church in order to be trained for ministry. And what's more, how God is doing this is that he has made you a loving and welcoming congregation that gets excited about putting your arms around these young men and women who are called into ministry. This little church at the corner of Queen and Melrose is multiplying the spread of the gospel because we invest in future leaders. These are our missionaries, and they just keep coming, and we just keep giving them away. But this is good news for us. By giving away the best among us, we are blessed with abundance. You know, that's a kingdom principle. So when we give away Chris, we can expect God to bless Christ church with even greater abundance of ministry and life. Because it's Jesus said in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Well, I believe what he says. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Can you imagine us running over with Chris Boras? No, don't imagine that. <laughs> good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In giving away, we grow and are made full, and God's kingdom expands. Now, here are just some specific applications for us this morning, and this is what we'll close with. We are going to continue to invest in young leaders only to watch them head out to do other ministry. And you know what that means, and you know this, you felt this, it means that you and I will have our hearts broken over and over. The same way parents have their hearts broken when they send their children out into the world. We have to let go and send with the confidence that we will indeed again meet, yes, in God's kingdom at the end of the age, but over and over through ministry, God will bring us back together. It means that we will have an abundance of talent to do ministry and mission in the local church, and you're going to be influential in shaping them. It also means that we're going to watch young leaders make mistakes. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I, I told somebody this week, I said, you know, many times new leaders are like Labrador retriever puppies. They're really cute. You bring them into your home, you love them, and they make messes and break things. But you are investing in that great grown-up Labrador retriever that you know that they will become. It means also, and excitingly, you need to know this, in the fall of this year, our, we have a, our, our, our local church is a part of a, a bunch of other churches in, in our area. Our area is from North Carolina to Maine. Uh, it's a tiny little area. Uh, but it's called the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. So that's the area. All these churches together are called the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. And in, that, in our diocese, we have a program called the Anglican Missional Pastors Program. The Anglican Missional Pastors Program is doing, uh, in, in an even more robust way, what we're doing here in one little church. Well, here's what you need to know. Are you ready? This fall, the Anglican Missional Pastors Program is coming to this church to be based here because of what we're doing at Christ Church. That's amazing. We will be forming not just our own curate, but men and women throughout this diocese for diaconal and priestly and missionary ministry. 
Some people, though, are not going to want to be a part of a church like Christ Church precisely because this is what we do. There will be people who want to be inwardly directed and programmatic and consumer-driven, and they will not understand this, and they will dislike this. But remember, as we've said long ago, Christ Church is a battleship, not a cruise ship, and you know that. This means that we will remain committed to risk-taking sacrifice and to the vision for God's mission in the world. God is doing something amazing. We are planting, we are watering, and God is making things grow. We will watch these leaders go out into the world and touch a generation for Jesus Christ. We will plant, we will water, and God will make his kingdom grow. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Almighty God, we do lift up to you this morning uh, the leaders who have come through this church, not just Keith and Chris and Tom, but so many others that we could name before you today and are out doing gospel ministry. Lord, we pray that you would continue to make them effective planters of the gospel seed and waterers of the things that you make grow. Lord, give us open hearts. Fill us to ever more capacity to receive and prepare these young men and women to go out to serve you in the world. And Lord, the gospel seed that we have heard reiterated again this morning, may it never lose purchase in our lives. May it take root. And maybe for someone this morning in this place, they've heard the gospel and it connected for the first time and you are offering them new life in Christ. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.